If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hi, everyone. It's Erin, and I want to take a quick minute and tell you about a course that I have coming up this summer. On the podcast, we talk a lot about student-driven learning. But this can be scary, especially when it comes to the lab. When I first started with NGSS, I envisioned total chaos, and that really scared me. It scared me so much that I didn't give my students control of their investigations for a really long time. Then I figured out how to manage student-driven investigations, and while it wasn't perfect at first, the students learned so much. And it actually ended up saving me time because I wasn't spending endless hours prepping for labs. Right now, the waitlist is open for my student-driven investigations course. If you want to get on the waitlist, go to sadlerscience.com investigate to sign up. The waitlist will give you exclusive information, updates, and you'll be the first to have access to the course when it opens. Enrollment will be limited, so sign up for the waitlist today at sadlerscience.com investigate. Hi everyone, it's Erin Sadler, and today I am going to be talking to you about argumentation. Engaging in an argument from evidence is one of my favorite practices, and I find it incredibly valuable in my classroom. So I want to start out by just talking about what argumentation is and why it's important. You may already know the answer to this question, but I just want to go over it again really quickly, just in case you're one of the people that kind of missed the significance of this when you were in your PD on argumentation or when you were in your teacher program. And the reason I want to talk about this is because if you're like me and you have been teaching for a while, this is something that was completely left out of previous versions of the standards. I know that my old standards didn't say anything about argumentation, and really the kids only saw that like in their ELA class. The problem with that is that argumentation is an incredibly valuable practice in science because more often than not, we have more than one plausible explanation for a phenomenon or more than one solution to a problem. So argumentation is used to figure out which explanation is most correct or potentially it's a combination of two different explanations that are correct or trying to figure out which solution is best 
given the criteria and constraints. And this is really where argumentation differs from the practice of constructing an explanation, because when we're constructing an explanation, there's generally one correct answer and everybody's decided that it's the correct answer and there is no argument to have. Whereas when we're engaging in argumentation, we're trying to figure it out. So engaging in an argument from evidence is a practice that's used to figure stuff out. So I'm probably telling you things that you already knew, and that's fantastic. But I want to talk about how we can improve the practice of argumentation in your classroom. So I'm going to talk about my five strategies or scaffolds that I use in my classroom. One of the things that I found is that most teachers who are using argumentation in their class are using the CER format. So that's claim, evidence, and reasoning. And there's nothing wrong with this format, but it has some pros and cons, like with any other strategy that you would use in your classroom. So I like using this strategy when I am introducing argumentation, but I don't start here. The reason that I don't start here is because my students generally have not had argumentation as a practice before they've entered my classroom. So when my seventh graders come in, usually they have no idea how to make a scientific argument. So what I do is I look back at the NSTA matrix and I look at what they should have had in third through fifth grade. And one of the skills that they should have developed in that grade level band is that students should know if evidence supports or refutes a claim, or if you have two different claims, they should be able to figure out which claim the evidence supports. So there's a really easy way that you can introduce this in your classroom, and that is by writing down all of the evidence that your students have collected or evidence that you have collected and that you're providing them with, writing that down on different cards, and then asking students in small groups to take these cards and sort them into piles. And they can sort them into piles based on which claim that they support. They could sort it into piles based on which claim it refutes. Um, and they should be kind of talking about that in their small groups. Then what I like to do is talk about that in a whole group setting. And we talk about like which pieces of evidence we put in each pile. Then what I ask my students to do is explain why they put them in a certain pile. What they're doing when they're explaining why they put a card in a certain pile is they're starting to develop some sort of reasoning. And I don't really tell them that they're, they're creating reasoning. We just kind of let the process flow and we let them discuss it. And then when we're done with that, I introduce the components of an argument and I introduce the claim, evidence, reasoning, and I also tell them about the rebuttal. And I think that that's a piece that a lot of teachers leave out but that's really a huge piece of any argument. If I'm going to have an argument with my husband, I don't just tell him my reasoning and he just goes, oh, okay. And, you know, agrees with me. There's back and forth. He also presents his argument and we discuss it back and forth. And that back and forth is really what makes it an argument. And the reality is, is that my husband and I don't argue that much anymore because we've been married for long enough that we've already had all the fights, but you get my point. 
So I basically have a sheet for my students that has the components of an argument. And I really try to focus on the first three at first because I want to make sure that they're mastering that before we start talking about the rebuttal piece. But I kind of let them know that that's coming. So this sheet is just um, like a one page set of notes on argumentation and they just pop it into their notebook so that they have it available for them. Then what I do is I show them a few different arguments and I have them grab three different highlighters or three different colored pencils and I have them highlight the pieces of the argument like what they think it is. So I have them highlight the claim, what they think is the claim in one color and then the evidence in another color and then the reasoning in a third color. And each time that we do that, we look at one argument at a time, and then we talk about it as a class. I have three of these, and the first time it's pretty rough. Um, so most of the students really struggle with the difference between evidence and reasoning. So the first time we go over it again, and they have an example in front of them. The second time it gets a little bit better. And then by the third time, most students can correctly identify the claim, evidence, and reasoning. I have this resource available for middle school students on my Teachers Pay Teachers store, and I will link to that in the show notes. But you can also just go to sadlerscience.com slash CER. I'm working on something for upper elementary and for high school too, but I haven't quite gotten that done yet. So this is like step two. In step one, they are really learning about evidence. In step two, they are distinguishing between a claim, evidence, and reasoning. And then the next thing that we're going to do is apply it back to that content that we were already talking about. So we go back to those evidence cards that students were previously sorting, and I have them write a CER. In that resource I was just talking about, I have a graphic organizer that has a space for the claim, the evidence, and the reasoning, and then another space for another piece of evidence and another piece of reasoning. I usually require that students give me two pieces of evidence and two pieces of reasoning, and we wrap it up in a nice little paragraph. That's something that I really work on at my school because that's also something that the English department is working on. So we have that shared Thing that we're working on and that really helps the students. So let me give you an example. One of the first arguments that I have my seventh grade students do is explain why condensation collects on the outside of a cup um, and on the outside of a cold cup, obviously. So there are generally two explanations. The first one is that water vapor is coming closer together and, you know, as those particles are coming closer together, they become more visible and it changes phase from a gas to a liquid. And I clean it up for them a lot better than I just did for you. The second one is that the liquid is leaking out of the cup. And that's a really common misconception with middle school kids is even high school kids, actually, that the liquid is leaking out. So one of the pieces of evidence that I might give them is that the liquid coming out of the container doesn't match the color inside of the container. So if I have like a Coke or something like that, then 
the condensation on the outside isn't brown. It's still clear. If you've been working with the same kind of standards for a while, or if you have been teaching the same subject matter for a while, you know what your students' misconceptions are likely to be. But if you've just switched grade levels or you've just switched to integrated, this can be a little bit difficult. So I have a trick for you. There's a resource called the CAST, C-A-S-T, item specifications. I'll also link to those in the show notes. But what they are is they're a list of specifications for each performance expectation. And it's written for the California state test, which is the C-A-S-T. But there's one for each performance expectation. So this can really be used as a resource no matter what state that you're teaching in. What they are is there were documents for each of the performance expectations, and they have an explanation explaining how the performance expectation was put together and some suggestions for how they should be assessed. That's a really cool tool in and of itself, but on the document, it has a list of common student misconceptions. So often if I'm trying to figure out what another potential claim could be, I can open up this document and I can look and see what, what students think is a likely explanation. When you're having students do CER in your classroom, Another thing that I like to do is have them read other students' arguments and provide feedback. The way that I do this is generally I provide them with rubric and I have them work in small groups of like three or four. They read each other's argument and use the rubric to provide feedback. I like to do this before I have students turn their argument into me and I give them the opportunity to revise their argument after they've gotten feedback from students. I have found that this really improves the quality of argument that I get and students don't have to revise as many times and I don't have to look at them as many times, which saves me time, which I like because reading a lot of work and providing feedback can be pretty intensive and I want to make sure that I'm using my time wisely. So this is my basic process for introducing argumentation. I really use that CER framework in the beginning, but there is a problem with just using CER. And the biggest problem is that when you're using CER, the students aren't really arguing. They're really focusing on writing. And that can be a pro because it slows the process down. I know that when I am in an argument with somebody, I don't really stop and think, this is my claim, this is my evidence, this is my reasoning, and therefore it can kind of get really jumbled when I'm in an argument. But if you start with that piece and then move on to an oral argument when things are going a little bit faster, students will produce a much better oral argument. If the argument is just written, it's very difficult to bring in that back and forth component. It's possible, and there's some tech tools that you can use to, to allow for that back and forth, but it's not the same as when you have students engaging in that discussion in your classroom. So let me just spend a moment and talk about some of the resources that you can use to get that discussion or that dialogue going online, because I know a lot of us are still working online, at least in some part. 
If your students aren't in the classroom, there are three resources that I use. So the first one is um, I use Flipgrid and students create their Flipgrid with their claim evidence and reasoning. And then I require that they respond to at least one other student. If you're having them do this, I would highly suggest that you provide sentence frames or something like that in order to make sure that their, that their rebuttal or their response is well-structured. The second tool that I use is we have recently switched to Canvas, which is an online learning management platform. And I'm sure that there's other platforms that do this, but basically one of the tools that Canvas has is it has a discussion board. So I have them post their argument on the discussion board and then they have to respond to at least one other student. And again, I provide them with sentence frames and other resources to help improve that rebuttal. And then the third one that you can use is Padlet. And this is um, a much more fluid, kind of easier to access um, online piece that you can use for argumentation. And I will link to those as well so that you can take a look at that. But ideally, when your students are engaging in that dialogue, when it's a real-time discussion, they're really getting that benefit of figuring stuff out as a group. And if you've ever done this in your classroom, you can see how the consensus really shifts from one claim to another. One of the things that I like to do when I do this in the classroom in non-COVID times is I write the two claims on a piece of paper and stick them on opposite sides of the room. And I have students pick which side they're on. And if they're just unsure, I have them stand in the middle. And then as the argument's taking place, they can switch sides and you can really see what things are making an impact. And it's really cool. You can also structure this in one of the many ways that you can structure a Socratic seminar. So there's like, for example, one where you put students in a circle on the inside and a circle on the outside and only the people on the inside can talk. The people on the outside can kind of like sit there and listen and then they switch at some point. So this kind of builds that listening component in as well. And it also makes it so that you're not having just like one argument with all of the students in your class, which can kind of get a little bit crazy if it's not well managed. Also, by making it a smaller group discussion, you get to hear from more voices where we've all had that experience in a classroom where a few students dominate the conversation and some people don't get to participate because the other people are taking over. So that's basically all that I have to say. I basically went over five ways that you could improve student arguments in your classroom. So I'm just gonna briefly recap some of the major things that I covered. So the first thing is starting with evidence before you introduce the reasoning component. And I talked about how you could do that with a card sort. The second thing is to review sample arguments and have students identify the claim, evidence, and reasoning. Third, you can use those cast item specifications to come up with alternate claims. That's not just the correct answer that you're giving them something else that they could potentially think is the correct answer and bring in that argumentation piece. Number four, have students review each other's arguments and provide feedback. And then five, make sure that you're bringing in some, some sort of way that they can have that back and forth in the classroom. 
Thanks so much for listening today. And if you have any questions, you can always contact me at Erin at SadlerScience.com or reach out to me on Instagram at SadlerScience. And those are usually the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.